1: Hello, hi, and welcome to another episode of The Emma Gunn Show. I am your host, Emma Gunn-Awardner, and in this episode, I'm joined by award-winning writer, creative director, and author, Lottie Jeffs. Lottie has written for Elle, The Evening Standard, The Sunday Times, and The Guardian, to name a few, but our conversation in this episode centres around her book, How to Be a Gentlewoman, with the subtitle, The Art of Soft Power in Hard Times. Now we've had this conversation on the podcast previously with Alison Hogg and Mary Portas about successful people traits and how there's a trap of thinking aggression and being strong in the workplace or indeed socially is a good thing and also somewhat masculine and how actually that's nonsense and being successful doesn't require being aggressive, strong, over the top, etc. And success is non-binary. What I loved about Lottie's book is this notion of soft power. Of being very centered, grounded and sure of oneself in order to radiate confidence, authority and kindness. In this conversation Lottie shares with me how she came to create this guide to being a gentlewoman, how her own experiences have shaped her and the book, how to overcome or come to terms with someone not liking you and how to find the sweet spot of putting yourself first without being selfish. The link to Lottie and the book will be in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. But for now, please join me in welcoming Lottie Jeffs to The Emma Gunn Show. So Lottie, this is, hello. Um, I'm so glad to be speaking to you because you have all the answers.
2: (laughs) Well, I don't know about that, but I can make some suggestions.
1: Yes, so we're together talking about your new book, How to Be a Gentlewoman. And from the second I opened it, I just thought, I feel seen.
2: Oh, that's
1: <laughs> so nice to hear. Thank you for saying that. And you have described it, your background is as a magazine journalist and yep. creative consultant. And I think what I found interesting about listening to you talk about this book in other places is saying, I always knew I was going to tell this story. I maybe just didn't know the format in which it was going to come out.
2: Yes, that's exactly right. Um, I feel like I had a quite unique set of things happen to me over quite a short period of time, which I always felt were things that I wanted to share with other people, Mm. I guess, because I learned a lot from them. So um, the death of my cousin then my other cousin becoming quite famous, and then my parents divorcing when I was an adult, then being in a controlling relationship. I think that was it. And then a load <laughs> of work stuff as well. Like, it felt like some really challenging things mm. that all sort of happened one after the other. And I feel like I finally found my way through them all to a place that's a lot happier, which in some ways is circumstantial because mm bad things stopped happening, which Mm. is like a great help in making you feel better about stuff when Mm. you're actually not in the white hot centre of a drama. But also, I now feel better equipped to deal with whatever life throws at me next. Because Mm. one thing we can know is that there'll always be stuff that we can't control.
1: Yes. And actually, that brings me to something that you said about um, worrying. Mm. and i've spoken on this podcast before about how it was very clear as a child that i probably had what you would now call anxiety i was such a worrier mm. and i felt that it was future proofing i was troubleshooting all potential scenarios so i'd be okay if anything happened and actually when you were talking about it and you were talking about is it the mexican worry dolls oh
2: yeah do you know do you know the ones i mean like these ti- they're I like tiny like tiny little um thread dolls that have got um, like sort of Mexican costume on if you know you know yeah, basically yeah. and they come in this tiny little wooden box and you tell each one a worry and then you put it in the box and you put it under your pillow and you sleep on it and then in the morning your worries have gone I mean I could actually cry thinking about myself mm. telling these dolls anyway
1: yeah <laughs> cry yeah. for it so with worrying that thing of actually if you're in a place where maybe you flip that Mm. and instead of thinking about the things you're worrying about you think about the things you're grateful for then when circumstances do happen you're in a much better you're in much better shape to handle it totally yeah just and I think that's a choice you know you're
2: choosing to see the good things Mm. and you're choosing to see the positive things and you're not dismissing the difficult or challenging things but the things that are taking up the majority of your headspace are good and I think that that was a real turning point for me was kind of allowing myself to be happy and to enjoy the good things Mm. and to not feel like I think for a long time I felt like I couldn't be happy in a moment because I was worried that something bad would happen yes and that I was scared to if I just allowed myself to relax into feeling okay that I wouldn't be um sort of resilient enough or or geared up for the next trauma Mm -hmm. or the next bad thing to happen to me so I never could quite relax in situations because I was just worried that They wouldn't last. Mm. And I think that what I've learned to do is just be in the moment a bit more and think this is fine, this is good right now and that's enough.
1: Mm. Did you ever think, and I'm projecting onto you because I think this is where I... And even still it affects me where if I'm feeling good and I think, oh, today's a really good day and work's going really well. Mm. I think, am I inviting something back? Yeah, you're like, what's going to happen? Almost not wanting to say it.
2: I think I've, I've really stopped thinking that and I really think it's something that we should work hard to not feel because it just negates all of the good stuff in life if Mm. you just don't ever allow yourself to just feel it and be in that moment you know what a shame what a loss Mm. of potential happiness and I think it's a choice a lot of the time I think if you're suffering from mental health issues and it's something deeper. It's not necessarily a choice in the same way. You can't just mm. choose to not be depressed. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have clinical depression and you're just sort of navigating the ups and downs of life in a in a sort of balanced mental health sort of way, then I do think you
1: can choose the glass half full mm-hmm. pathway. Yeah. And you have said uh, that this is, and I want to make sure I get this right. This is part memoir and part self help. Mm. And I don't know about you, but I sometimes, self-help is something that I, you know, when I tag my podcast on the internet, I put Mm self-help, but it's also a term that I find a little bit, ugh.
2: Yeah, I definitely have read some self-help books that make me feel really irritated. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't like the tone of them. I feel like they're assuming something of the reader that I don't identify with. I think a lot of self-help books assume that the person reading it is a bit of a hot mess mm-hmm. and like can't get out of bed in the morning. Mm. And I often would read those bit- books being like, actually, no, like I'm not this, this fragile, weak person that doesn't know how to um, deal with the things that life throws at me. I, I have um, things that I want to learn and that I want to feel inspired by, but I don't want you, the writer, to make me feel like I don't have my life together. Mm. That's maybe quite personal to me because I'm maybe quite like confident in myself in that way. And I know a lot of other women aren't like that and mm. do look to books to sort of guide them more specifically and those sort of things. But what I was conscious of with my book was assuming a certain intelligence of my reader and hopefully not coming across as too prescriptive or mm-hmm. didactic or um, like I read, did you Did you read uh, Jordan Peterson's The Rules, The Twelve Rules? It's like average. the most sort of heterosexual. I mean, he's like a bit of an alt-right pinup, isn't he? <laughs> Which I only realized like halfway through listening to the audiobook, um, I kind of connected who he was and his politics and was like, oh, I feel really like dirty for having listened to this now. <laughs> but his tone, it's like, oh my God, he just it's like everyone's stupid apart from him and Mm -hmm. um it's quite aggressive and i think a lot of self-help books can actually come across as quite um aggressive to the point of like it's a fight like life is a fight you've got to Mm -hmm. win and these are the things you know to, to always kind of achieve the next thing and get better and i feel like i wanted to write something that felt in its whole tone just a bit softer and more welcoming and less stressful as a read because often you read those books and you're like oh bloody hell now i've got loads Mm. more stuff i need to do i need to be journaling and i need to have my (laughs) um manifestation board and i Mm. need to like and you're like oh my god my life is now even more full of stressful things that i have to do to be relaxed or to be happy (laughs) so although my book does contain a real element of um lists and suggestions I hope that people will be able to dip in and out of them and think, yeah, I might try that, but not that. Mm-hmm. You know, they're not integral to the way of being that I'm trying to
1: um, encourage people to pick up. Yeah, you don't have to accumulate each and every one to get to the next level. No, it's exactly. Just... It's not a video game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and the reason why self-help, for exactly what you're saying, so whenever I've had people on, like when Jen Sincero's been on the show or Gretchen Rubin's been on the show, it's look, this is my experience, Mm -hmm. this is what worked for me and exactly what you've done, I'm going to credit you with some intelligence and this is how I'm going to present it to you in order that maybe it might facilitate you moving forward Mm -hmm. positively if you're feeling a little bit stuck. Yeah,
2: that's nice. Actually, I really liked Gretchen Rubin's book. That was one of those books that I felt like wasn't Mm patronising me.
1: Yes, and also she's the only person on the subject of decluttering an organisation <laughs> that I can really get on board with because she will say, if you are somebody who likes clutter, that's fine, mm. just know where it is and know yeah, where exactly. it should be, <laughs> which I really appreciate. Um, what, I mean, you have various chapters in this book and obviously the link listeners will be in the show notes, how did you compartmentalise it? How did you actually structure it? Because you've got brilliant chapters on being alone You've got um, brilliant chapters on not being alone.
2: Yeah, I think I the chapters came quite naturally to me in that they were all of the subjects that were sort of orbiting my life at that time. So, um, and they were also just the things that kept coming up in conversation with my friends, and that felt like were the the topics that really caused the most sort of conflict or challenges for for the other people in my life. So being alone felt really, really important. That was always something I really wanted to write about, the importance of being comfortable um, on your own and in your own space. And then equally being together. So that's my um, chapter on relationships. um, And I talk in that chapter about being in a controlling relationship and getting out of that and how to sort of break up with somebody in a kind way and how to be in a relationship um, that sort of doesn't, just blindly conform to heteronormative expectations, Mm. but that you can kind of make up your own rules as you go along. So that was my chapter on being together. Then being a family, I mean, I feel like I'm quite well placed to comment on the intricacies of family life. Like I've had quite, um, in some ways, like a fractured family life, but in other ways, it's brought my family so much closer together. Um, so it was really interesting for me to explore what it means to be a family these mm. days. Um, then being in clothes is another chapter which is all about how we find our sense of style and how we feel like that can really express our ideas about ourselves and how, um, why, why it's important to take care of yourself and um, why it's okay to like nice things mm. and want to look You know your best Mm -hmm. um so that's quite a meaty chapter actually even though it sounds quite frivolous um and then being online was is another obvious kind of subject um matter um and being a friend again friendship feels like such a topic that we we don't really give as much time and attention to as we do our romantic relationships Mm. our friendships and I felt like I really wanted to interrogate that area a bit more and talk about you know breaking up with a friend even um, and how to do that and when you should know to do that indeed and also like finding your people finding where you feel most comfortable in social settings Um, and then what my, my other chapters I think that's it oh, it, oh being at home mm-hmm. being at home like the importance of creating like a a space where you feel safe and happy and sort of talking about the idea of home and where it's come from and what it means today and then yes mm-hmm. work how could i forget my <laughs> god like the thing that takes up most of our mental headspace i would say my chapter on work and i think i really enjoyed writing that chapter it was quite cathartic because mm-hmm. i talked a lot about my own career experience and i felt quite confident in that chapter in giving advice like a bit more like practical Mm -hmm. advice to people because it
1: was something that I really believed in yeah and all of these chapters are underpinned by the idea listeners of how to be a gentlewoman and just to go back to that definition almost um I think I've heard you say it's someone that you look up to and want to be but it feels achievable yeah
2: I think if you think of a gentlewoman in your own life I would say she's the person that whenever you meet up with her or you go for dinner or you go for drinks you come away feeling really good about yourself you feel really Mm. uplifted you maybe feel like that sort of excited tingle of like oh I want to go home and do all those things we talked about or look up those things or research that thing or make Mm. you know Mm. um, and you feel kind of challenged by them like they you know they're not just going to give you an easy ride they're going to ask you questions Mm. and um, you know make sure that your choices are the right ones and like they're a bit sort of Challenging in that sense, but they're also somebody that makes you feel kind of looked after. Mm. And when you're with them, you just feel relaxed and like safe. Mm. And you know, when you have you go for dinner or drinks with those people, it's just such a lovely experience. Like you just feel like, ah, oh, this is a nice time. I'm having mm. a good conversation. This person's listening to me. They're asking me questions. I'm asking them questions where there's almost like uh, chemistry mm. with that person and that that relationship so I feel like that person probably is a gentlewoman in that she has done work on herself so that she's somebody who can be that person for other people Mm -hmm. and I think that's something that I really try to get across in my book is that a lot of this work that I suggest that we do on ourselves is not we're not doing it for a, a selfish reason so we can like have a hashtag blessed Instagram life. <laughs> We're doing it so we can be supportive friends, so we can be good parents, so we can be there for our pa- our own parents when mm-hmm. they need us, so we can be like part of a team at work, you know. We don't just exist in these silos that, of individuality. Mm-hmm. We are people in the world, you know. Um, as I think it was John Donne wrote, and no man is an island. Mm.
1: And the premise, of, or the the idea, and I think the way that it's set out is so easy, listeners. It's just a very easy book to read for various reasons. But I think it did come off the back of a listicle. Yes, that's right. That was right. inspired by a listicle that was 39 <laughs> steps to being a gentleman. Yeah, that's right. It
2: was just an art, like an article that I saw online uh, that I think Country Life, or one of those bucolic mm. magazines, had put out on... The internet about the 39 things that make you a gentleman, and it was like drinks whiskey, you can play tennis. Um, I don't know, holds doors open for women. Oh, maybe it was like a little bit more woke than that, but <laughs> it made me feel like, ah, oh, women are like this too. And there's certain qualities in women that I feel are ne- not necessarily celebrated in the way that they're celebrated. For men, mm-hmm. um, so almost you know chivalry, manners, um, being a sort of robust, practical character—you know—all of these things are things that so many women in my life um, personified. Mm-hmm. And so I did this list for L that was like the thirty-nine things that make you a gentlewoman. Um, I mean, I can't even remember some of them off the top of my head, but they were literally things that I so much admired in other women. Um, thing, you know, some silly things like has a signature drink, dances, is the first one to dance at a wedding, or um, and then things like can swim three swimming strokes, which is funny because I can barely swim myself. <laughs> um, you know, has a bottle of whiskey at home in a decanter, like the things that sort of paint a picture when you add Mm. them all up of of just like a cool woman that you'd Mm. want to be friends with. And anyway, this list did really well online and people were sort of sharing it saying like, oh, you're so number 14 or I need to do more or whatever. And so I realized that this concept really resonated Mm. with women. Um, and then I started speaking to my agent about it, and at first, you know, the, it it could have become quite a pithy sort of etiquette, modern manners book. Yeah. Um. But then, when I sort of started to share my own personal narrative of all of this sort of loss and bad things that had happened in my life, I realised that this woman that I'd been describing was kind of the woman that I'd been aspiring to become myself. Mm and that maybe there was a way of telling this story through my own journey of like building myself up from a really bad place to a better place, that in that route was a kind of becoming and it was maybe a gentlewoman, like that's what I was trying to become. Mm. So hopefully
1: that comes across. Yeah, it does. And I think, as you say, um, the, the word becoming, a story of becoming, I found quite moving when I read it the first time because it, um, it's not easy to mm. come from dark, sad places mm-hmm. that feel sometimes helpless and hopeless, mm. to a place where you feel empowered and robust, and not just capable of looking after yourself, but to be a port in a storm for someone else. Which mm. I think is also what a gentle woman. Yes, would be.
2: absolutely. Yeah, because like, where do those feelings go? You know, I think you can't ever expect that if you've gone through trauma, that what that did to you and to your way of seeing the world and your emotions i don't think you can ever expect that to just disappear
0: Mm.
2: but i feel like you can re you know like almost like if it's clay you can like take it apart and Mm. reshape it into Mm. something else Mm. and that something else can be a good thing yeah um so i don't think this is about negating the past, or negating the bad things that have happened to us because they all contribute to the patchwork of ourselves and our lives and they make us deeper uh, and more empathetic people. Mm. I don't, you know, think that we need to just blindly kind of get to this place of, like, jolly, jolly happiness where we're all making our beds mm. every day, as I say in my book, and, like, <laughs> living this sort of jaunty, gentlewoman life. Like, I think that would be naive to think that that's even possible, but what I do oh. think is that the negative things that may or may not have happened to you in the past can become part of your story, but can be reimagined as useful or kind of practically can change the way
1: that you see yourself in the world today. Mm. I like the term soft power Mm. because I think one might, Uh, assume or think that um, going through trauma going through hard times could leave you with hard edges
2: yeah that's a really nice way of putting it and actually yeah the subtitle of my book is the art of soft power in hard times and I think that's sort of what I mean about like not feeling like we have to just like achieve happiness and like go to therapy and cure ourselves and like it becomes a sort of fight and Mm -hmm. a a battle with ourselves to get over uh, ourselves and get over the the bad or the negative things that might have happened in our life. And actually, I think if we take a softer approach, which is like leaning into those feelings and those experiences, but not feeling like we have to overcome them in this sort of like almost Mm battle-like way, like we're not at war with ourselves, like we should just, sort of take a bit of a breath and allow and some time and like allow ourselves to feel what we need to feel and um and not feel like we have to cure ourselves like quickly now and get better Mm. so we can be the best like person at work and I think just taking a bit more of a relaxed softer approach to our healing is is quite an important thing to be doing, particularly in this day and age Mm -hmm. where so much around us does have those hard edges and can feel really um, scary and out of our control. Like, I think it's really important to just assert soft power where we can. Mm.
1: Um, It reminded me of when I first went into therapy Mm -hmm. and someone very close to me, we were just having lunch or something. And I obviously said something, which was slightly out of character and they blew up and they just said the pendulum has swung too far the other way. Because I was coming from a place where I felt like I was a pushover, I felt like I was too weak. So I'd obviously got quite hard and it really made me think I've got to bring that pendulum to the middle. Yeah. Fixing it is not going to the other extreme. That's,
2: yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I guess like for you though, you needed to do that in order to mm. come back the other way. And that's like that I think that's like a perfectly Reasonable, like approach to dealing with trauma mm. and like almost like if you do feel like you've been super weak and passive and a pushover maybe that's exactly what you need to do mm. first and then you can almost work back from there and think mm. okay I'm this assertive badass woman don't mess <laughs> with me now now I can go from that place to actually thinking am I happy as this assertive mm. badass woman or are there places in my life where I might feel happier if I could just sort of take a breath, lean out, relax a bit more and not feel like I have to be on and pushing, pushing, mm-hmm. pushing all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but
1: yeah, I can see why you might have to get to that place to work back from it. And also the... the um things like being seen as aggressive or strong mm-hmm. or slaying it or smashing it when i've had Alison hogg um on the podcast and also mary portes they've said these are not these are these are not successful people traits mm-hmm. these are not male traits these are you should just be kind <laughs> in yeah the workplace. You
2: should, totally and i think there's a, of course there's like a time and a place for being assertive i don't think we should be scared of being confident and assertive i I know some people are sort of intimidated by confident or assertive women because they're not used to it or they think women should be a certain way. And if a woman is confident, they're seen to be sort of aping a man. And Mm. I don't think, I'm not saying like, let's not be confident and assertive. I am 100% like an alpha woman. Like I'm the one in a restaurant that's like complaining about the food, asking to move tables. Like, But there's a way that you can be that person but you can do it with a sort of soft edge so Mm. you can you can be clear about what you want you can be um confident in a room talking to people you can not be worried about sort of being too much or too big or too loud but you can just have a awareness of how you're coming across in that context and an awareness of just I guess as you said being kind as you do it. So, like, if you are complaining about food, you're not being, like, an irrational megabitch about it. You're, you know, quite kindly and sensibly explaining why this isn't good enough. And I think that being kind and confident can go, can go hand mm-hmm. in hand, but often we mistakenly think that powerful women have to be unkind or... Mm-hmm. Uh, Assertive to the point of um, not allowing anyone else to have a voice, mm. and I think that we need to change the narrative of of that.
1: Mm. And also, I wonder if because um, it's definitely my story of wanting to be liked, mm. and and so you complain whilst wanting the person to like you, yeah, or in the workplace,
2: yeah. I wonder if I've ever sort of if I felt that in the same way. I don't I don't know if how much I care about being liked. I think I'm I don't think I care necessarily about other people liking me. I care more about liking myself. Mm. And in order to like myself, I know that I have to be kind to other people. Mm. So I think I feel like if I'm happy with the way I've behaved in a situation and I feel like I've treated everybody with kindness, I will like myself and feel like I'm, you know, have handled that well. And if other people disagree, then I don't really care. Mm. I think,
1: yeah. That's a good place to be. Yeah, well, I think so. Because it, it, there's no wobble. That's the only word I can think mm. of in that in this moment. And I just wondered, how do you, how do you know what you want? You said about being clear about what you want. Mm-hmm. Does it come back to that? spending time with yourself
2: definitely I think you you really need to snatch moments of time for yourself wherever you can just to really like think and I think in this day and age it's really hard to find the time to think and to just you know have a notebook make some notes like engage with yourself in the world in a more objective way which is why therapy is so great Mm. and I think if you can afford to have therapy and you have the time for it I would urge everyone Mm. (laughs) to at least experience it once in their life because that is the time to really think about everything you do your actions your reactions why you've behaved a certain way what someone else's behavior is bringing out in your own like it's the space and time to do that you can do that with friends over a drink. You can do that if you're just sitting on your own on the bus with a notebook, thinking about something. But I think that, however you do it, like it's so important. And I think that's how you find out what you want. And also, mm. you find out what you what you want by doing stuff and realizing, no, that's not for me. So in my book, I talk within the social context about like finding your people in um, in a kind of night nightlife sense mm-hmm. and what you enjoy doing on a night out and I, I realize that so many people sort of agree to go to stuff and do stuff that they know they're not going to really like, you know, like clubbing. Some <laughs> people really, really like clubbing. Some people just really don't like clubbing, but they still go because everyone else goes. Yeah. And I am arguing in this book for feeling confident enough in yourself and knowing yourself enough to be able to say, do you know what, I'm going to come with you for a drink beforehand and then I'm just gonna go home because I don't like clubbing. Mm. And you guys go and have a fun time, and like talk to me about it. Message me. Like that's great. But I don't personally want to go. Mm. And I think getting to a place where you feel okay about saying that because you're, you know, to say that you don't you don't want to be worried that other people think you're not their friend or worried like what they're gonna th- think of you or that you're not fun. You have to be confident enough that you are fun mm. and you are a good friend. You just don't really like clubbing. Mm. Uh, obviously, really speaking for myself here, this is <laughs> <just> like <laughs> coming
1: out. You're in a safe space. <laughs> but I also like the, um, because I sometimes have to go to work events and I don't know anybody. Oh, yeah. And that's tough. I have hidden in the loo several times. Have you? Yeah and like texted as many people are you at this thing are you gonna be at this Where thing are you? Yeah. yeah and I nearly left something before it started recently and the only reason I didn't is because somebody actually walked into the news as I was leaving to go home having come into but London and said aren't you oh I'm from the brand and I went, oh hi <laughs> as if everything was okay but you've got you've got great tips which is if you are in that situation walk confidently mm-hmm. to the bar and order a drink and make sure your first drink is a glass is of water. a glass of water yes um get a
2: glass of water first because I feel like often when you arrive places you can feel a bit nervous and a bit flustered and if your first drink is a glass of champagne or a booze whatever you will probably just down it because mm. you're feeling like anxious so if yeah. you just make your first drink a glass of water like that's your moment to just be like okay I'm here, I did it, I turned up on my own, I'm in the room, like survey the room, you know, who's here, Um, who do you want to speak to, is there anyone you know, if there isn't anyone you know, is there a sort of area that looks like it might be like, nice to just go and sit in. And I think there's a way that you can be on your own at parties where you don't just look like a sad sack sitting in the corner, but you're not sort of there like, hey guys, hey, 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 like trying to talk to everyone. Mm -hmm. You can just be, you know, just stand there, Mm have a drink look around make conversation with people if it comes naturally if it doesn't don't worry about it Mm. like just being in the space is good for you Mm. being in a space where you're on your own around a lot of other people is is good to challenge yourself in that way
1: but if you're really hating it just leave Mm. you know i i think that that's fine too it feeds into um, being a gentlewoman involves learning to pay attention to the world around you. And it is that thing mm. of, is this space good? Is this party? Yeah, like actually engaging <laughs> yeah. mindfully in mm. where you
2: are. Um, what you, you know, want from that experience at that time. Who, mm. What sort of people are there? Is it somewhere you feel safe? Do you feel comfortable? Um, just really think about how you feel in that space. I've walked into some things before, like work things. And I've just been like instantly like, No this is just I'm not I don't feel good here there's mm. just a weird vibe the people aren't my kind of people I don't like the music no mm. and I think it's okay to leave in those situations yeah. you know that's fine you, you've you've done it you've put yourself out there and I feel like so often as women we sort of punish ourselves it's like self-flagellation like oh well I've got to do it I've got to do it why? like take agency over your life and mm. make good decisions for yourself that are going to make you happier in the long run and actually mm. if some if you're having to go to a work event because you have to be seen to be there go show your fe- face and then you know leave and mm. do something you like to do you know if you've gone out and you've gone somewhere and you've not enjoyed it i would say leave but then go and have a nice little dinner on your own like yes. i actually did that last night i went to a work event which was fine Um, but I was like well I've made the effort of coming into town on my own I've Mm. been at this event on my own I feel like I need to sort of treat myself so I went to my favourite little local Italian restaurant in Soho and sat up at the bar had a glass of wine and a bowl of pasta and then I went home rather than just sort of going home on a note of feeling like oh I didn't mean to speak to anyone and Mm. I gave myself a nice experience that I'd enjoy and I think that's what I mean by
1: self-care like just being kind to yourself like that Mm and um i like that that again in the book another tip is uh if you do diet, don't have breakfast well you can have breakfast <laughs> on your own but that's an that's an easy way to dine on your own oh yeah going out for, i i'm so surprised by how many people don't go for dinner on their own
2: or wouldn't sit in a restaurant on their own would mm-hmm. you
1: i have to be really honest though, i love going to the cinema by myself yeah. in fact ninety no percent because no one can see you well also i just i don't want to talk right <laughs> i don't, I'm, I'm a big fan of Mark Kermode and Simon Mayer's podcast, a film podcast. I believe in the code of conduct, no food, no talking, no phones. So I'm very singular right. in my enjoyment. Um, but I have had lunch out, but I don't think I've ever had dinner out. And I did, feel
2: like that's your homework. It, I feel I'm like you need to go and it. have dinner on your own because it's such. it feels like such a treat. And I feel like I wish more people would do it because I think they'd enjoy it more than they would think. They would. Mm. I feel like we often feel like everybody's looking at us. Mm. Nobody, nobody cares. Like Mm. it's only you that think other people are looking at you because you're the star of your own story. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But actually, for everyone else, they're probably barely even noticing you. Like, Mm. think about how yourself, like who you notice around you. Mm. I mean, and even if you did see someone on their own, think anything of it. And I think just being confident enough to not need anyone else to like validate your worth in a Mm. experience like that is really nice of course dinner is best enjoyed with a friend or someone that you can talk to that's really nice but there's definitely a time and a place for being on your own in in that sort of an environment
1: I think the really nice thing about the advice about dining on your own is don't rush it
2: Yeah, don't feel like, oh, just because you're on your own on a table, like, oh, there's this big queue of people. Mm. That almost, to me, makes me want to stay there even longer. Like, I'm really (laughs) annoying. Like, if I'm sitting on my own, I'm like, oh, no, I just need a bit longer to decide, thank you, and then I'll order a starter, and then I'll sit there for a bit and I'll read my book, and I just really try not to pay attention to the, like, Mm. massive queue of people that are (laughs) waiting for my table because I've got every right to be at that table on my own as, Mm. as much as I do with a friend but actually just a good practical tip is if you do feel like too self conscious sit up at the bar if a Mm. restaurant has a bar that's always just a sort of buzzier place to sit and you can feel like you're in the thick of it a bit more
1: yeah might get chatting to a uh, yeah get chatting to some bar staff you know it's nice it's always good because you can say, "Surprise me with your best, your signature cocktail." Mm. Well, that's a great line. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, and also, uh, something you said on another podcast actually about knowing yourself and being comfortable with yourself. This really hit home for me. Mm. I had to sort of go back and listen, like rewind it a couple of times. I realised I hadn't been thinking about myself or have a sense of who I was. Things were happening to me, and I wasn't exercising any agency in my life. Mm. That really, really struck me. And I wondered if there is anything you might be able to share with someone who is feeling like that in this moment, who's listening to this podcast. The step that one could take to just begin to have that agency Mm. and to stop feeling as though life is something that's happening to you. It is really hard when, if the things that are
2: happening to you are really big horrible things like if it's like you're diagnosed with an illness or somebody dies or you know they they are things that are happening to you that you have no agency over however the thing you do have agency over is your response to those things and Mm. I think giving yourself time to reflect on them maybe try writing I know some people think oh I'm not a writer that's not for me but I feel like there's a real healing power in just writing things down Mm. so taking some time to just be with yourself and like write what you feel even if you imagine you're writing a letter to a friend or a, a blog post or something it doesn't have to go anywhere but just the act of writing it or telling it might might really help and then also, like, if you are experiencing something like that, making that not the only thing you're experiencing. So choosing, okay, so you can't control that necessarily, but you can control the other elements of your life. Just because you're diagnosed with cancer, you don't stop being someone that likes going to the cinema or likes seeing friends or, you know, find the things in your life that you can still make choices over. So, you know, make arrangements, tell people, ask for help, involve people in your life, make it something that you're not, dealing with on on your own um, and make it kind of part of you that you are you're not in control of it because god knows if something's happening to you physically that you can't control there's nothing you can do but just choosing to do some other things alongside it that you can make more positive choices over Um, and then I suppose in a smaller sense like if we're not talking about Big dramas like cancer and death and stuff. Like, if we're talking about sort of feeling like stressed at work, for example, um, they're things that I feel like we can control more than we are tr- controlling. And with things like that, I would say again, it comes down to taking time out for yourself. It feels like a really banal platitude to say take time out, but honestly, the amount of people that do not take a lunch break at work mm. is insane. And it sounds like such an obvious and basic thing to do, but like, just go out and just almost like, don't care what anyone else in the office is doing. If you are in an office where the culture is just everybody stays at their desk, and if someone's not at their desk, you know, there's pressure. Mm. Just you have every right to go out and take a lunch break and just do something different. Like sit somewhere, read a book, think, go and sit in a cafe phone a friend like do something different that isn't to do with work in in that time and I think those sort of small choices are things that can stop you from feeling like ah like I've just got all of these things happening to me that I'm not in control of Mm. like exercise that control where you can um so I think that would be just like a practical Mm.
1: example I also think and we talked about this before we hit record I also think that making the bed Oh, yeah. I do bang on about that quite a bit in the book, actually the importance of making Future.
2: your bed every day. Yeah. I'm surprised when people don't make their beds. I sort of feel like you're almost like actively choosing not to make your bed is harder than making it. <laughs> if it feels quite defiant, like, oh, I'm just not going to make my bed. Why? Like, it's so easy. I'm not talking about, like, you know, display cushions mm-hmm. and hotel tucked in <laughs> sheets just like make the sheet look nice and make the duvet look nice and plump your pillows mm-hmm. and pop them on the headboard, like done. Mm. It's really not hard. And it's almost like then a blank canvas for you to come home to and to feel like this is a fresh start, you know. Mm. I can't help thinking of Tracy Emmons artwork, that unmade bed, you know, and everything that that represented mm. um, was sort of a woman who was out of control of her life, you know, and was at the mercy of things that were happening to her. And like that bed for me in my mind is like an emblem of everything I don't want to be in my Mm, life. So mm.
1: making my bed is just a small act of kindness. Yeah, And even the way you talk about keeping the home, about having Mm. plenty of wine glasses and having fresh flowers or plants at all times. And when I was thinking about that, for me... Um, keeping my home clean and tidy is, is a massive part of self-care because I know that every time I walk through the front door and I come home whatever kind of day I've had it looks like housekeeping's been a, yeah, and I it feels that. fresh and yeah, new.
2: it's so nice and I think that makes such a difference because often when you're in a bad place you kind of contrive to make everything around you reflect your internal mm. um, space and so almost choosing to not do that and choosing to say okay even though I'm feeling really crap about this I've just split up with my partner I'm feeling really crap but I don't need to come home to like a really crap miserable house too, where I haven't washed up and my bed's unmade and you know there's piles of unopened letters on coffee tables Mm. and you know that's something that, that coming back to your last question about what can you do to actually choose to have agency Mm. um, that is the choice that you can make and just almost the very act of doing it, of saying right, I'm going to tidy up I'm going to make my house really nice Mm. and I'm going to go out and I'm going to buy some flowers that I feel like could just make you feel better and it could just be the little pick me up that you need to start a journey of feeling better about yourself, you know, I'm not saying that cleaning your house and having fresh flowers and a load of wine glasses is going to (laughs) cure your you know deep-seated trauma of course not but it could be the first
1: step Mm. to feeling better about yourself yeah and even for me it sounds so silly but if I haven't emptied the dishwasher and I've left it for a day because I've not been at home Mm. and then I get home and I think oh I'll just cook anyway and I'll put it in the sink that's a sign of no 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 no. Mm. something's unraveled Empty the damn dishwasher. Yeah, you know. Yeah. yeah. And of course, like, there are times when life gets in the way mm. and
2: you can't, find But to just at least aspire to that sort of way of living, I think,
1: is um, really admirable in people. Mm. Yes. One of the things I really loved about um, socialising... Was the arrive five minute early? Arrive five minutes early if you arrange to meet someone out. Oh yeah. And arrive eleven minutes late <laughs> if you're going to their house. And I'm desperate to know how did you come about those numbers? I just entirely
2: plucked <laughs> them out of
1: my head. No, I mean, I okay.
2: So the five minutes early, the reason is I want to feel like I'm calm and collected when my friend arrives. Mm. I don't want to be like rushing in late with like my bag and my coat and everything like falling over and being like, I just need to go to the loo. Like, oh, give me a second. Like, I'd rather get there early, find a nice spot, Mm. sit down, order myself a drink, um, go to the loo, finish texting the person I needed to text, put my phone away so that when my friend arrives, I can be like, hey, like Mm. I'm here, I'm ready. You know, Um, I think it's quite nice. And funnily enough, because so many of my friends are, I would say, gentlewomen and gentlemen. I often find myself like, it's almost like competitive earliness. Like, <laughs> I'll get there, so I'll get there early and my friend will al- already be there. Like, mm, I'm early, you know. Um, so that's really nice that other people are like me. Um, and then the 11 minutes late, I just base on my own experience of hosting, which is you're never quite ready at the exact time that you tell people to come. But you don't want people to be late, mm. because then you're like, oh, well, I like timed everything for this time. Um, so you don't want to be flustered and running around. you As a guest, you don't want to arrive at a time when your host is still sort of like, hasn't put their lipstick on, mm. wants to go and like, you know, put the finishing touches to yeah. the table or something. So I feel like 11 minutes is the right amount of time to not be late, but to not be sort of obnoxiously early.
1: Mm. I like it very much. Yeah, I mean, stick to it. you know. Let's see if it catches on. You also did something that I intended to do in the moment and chickened out of. Oh, what? And when I heard that you did this, I was howling. So years ago, I was invited to the 2812 fashion show. Mm. And Anna Wintour sat opposite me. (laughs) And she was on her own completely. There was not a single person near her. And you're on my side of the catwalk, there were lots of people. And part of my heart just thought, it reminded me, because she was on her phone and hunched over slightly, mm. I thought, she looks like the new girl at school yeah. <laughs> who doesn't know anybody. And instead of looking up and smiling, is has got her nose in a book. Mm-hmm. And so this gravitational pull to go and say hello to her and introduce myself, and not because she was Anna Wintour, but just to be friendly. And I didn't do it. Mm. But you did. <laughs> I did
2: do it once. I mean, it really wasn't like a big thing. And honestly, like, it, she wasn't exactly the most socially gregarious of people mm. when I did do it. Um, but, you know, she was perfectly polite and mm. and nice. And I think the wider point I was trying to make by sort of telling that anecdote about talking to her is that often we we kind of assume things about other people that they're scary or they don't want to talk to us. And it's sort of not the case. I feel like on the whole, we're all the same in so many ways. Like we're all as anxious as each other. We're all as um, sort of self-aware and we're all just people struggling in the world. And I Mm -hmm. think sometimes we always feel like everyone else has it more sorted out yeah. than we do um, and that we're the only ones that are like feeling the the weight of awkwardness in a particular moment and um, so I always like encourage people to to break that spell almost mm-hmm. and sort of going up to someone that you think looks intimidating and talking to them is a good challenge for yourself and it's also a way of saying no I'm I'm not I'm not just blindly taking on this narrative about other women being unfriendly or uh, cold because they're assertive you know I'm choosing to think that they're not that Mm. they're absolutely fine so I go through life treating other people as though they're normal put together like fine individuals I don't want to take on other people's anxieties and hang-ups I just assume that everyone's cool until proven otherwise and I think that's a better way to go through life than thinking the worst of people and being paranoid and thinking that everyone's kind of thinking bad things about you and doesn't like you and doesn't want to talk to you you know just make that choice to think people are good
1: Mm.
2: and often they're not and then you but that's fine but at least you start by thinking they're good and then you're proved wrong Mm.
1: but that in itself is really powerful because I I realized only recently I was out walking and I realised that every time anybody came into my eyeline, I just got a little bit defensive. And I thought, I just sort of put a shell of self-protection around me. But what it what it meant was, I was suspicious. Yeah. And so that doesn't lead to, rather than just smiling and saying, morning. So the next day when I went for a walk, every time I walked past someone, I said morning. <laughs> grinning inanely at everyone. And it was a much nicer morning. And I didn't have this this sort of tiny grain of fear in the back yeah. of my head at all times. I feel like
2: certainly living in London as well, You, if if you've lived in London for a long time or any big city, you sort of traverse the city feeling like everyone else is like an idiot and is in your way <laughs> and is like, oh! You know, like when you get on the tube and it's always like, oh, God, move down, please. Yeah. Or, God, like, you're working from this place of you being the only sensible person and yes. everyone else being, like, completely out to get you and make your life more difficult and maybe it is true like a lot of the time people are really annoying but <laughs> almost like i don't like that being my starting point i'd mm-hmm. rather try and think that everybody's just in it together really yeah. and like especially tr- get you know commuting in the morning we're all just stressed and busy and like you know no one's any worse than anyone else mm. you know I've been the person that's asked people to move down the carriage and I've been the person in the carriage being asked to be moved down and mm. both times I'm like oh the other person's a nightmare <laughs> so I really try and challenge myself in those situations and just like remain calm mm.
1: and it's what we were discussing earlier about having agency about how choosing how you mm-hmm. react to things and there's choosing how you react to things but then I guess in my own life I just realized I hadn't really made as much progress with how I react to people. Mm. And that thing of, as you say, the collective London commuter yeah. mind, it can feel like quite a tense... Well, no, it can't. It does feel it like does quite feel a tense, tense place. place. Definitely. And I think something
2: else I've been thinking about recently is about this idea of other people as this, like, big mass of other people that we're worried about. So, like, let's think about the workplace and being honest and open at work or telling the truth about something that's happened. But what, so say you've been made redundant, not wanting to admit you've been made redundant because you're worried about what people will think. Mm. Well, who are those people? Who do you mean when you say you're worried about other people's view of you? If you think about it, it's probably one or two people in your industry specifically that you're worried about. Mm. So I would say challenge yourself on this idea that People as a mass are all interested in your what you're doing and are all there to judge you. They're not, you know. Mm. The people that you're worried about judging you are like a few individuals who probably, if you individually like spoke to them, you would understand. Like that, actually, they're not, or they 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 either don't care or they're kinder and more empathetic than you think. And I feel like we always think that everyone else is looking at us and caring what we do but they're not really and I think once you realize that it can kind of free you up to make decisions that are for yourself more and not so much for what this idea of like other people would think was the Mm. right thing to do or the right way to live or the right next career move you're just thinking for yourself
1: Mm. what about if you're in a situation where you are in close proximity to somebody whether that's in the workplace or socially Mm. And you just know that fundamentally they don't like you. Oh, yeah.
2: I've I've been in that situation. Um, yeah, I've been in that situation once or twice in my life. And that's the worst because then you feel like, oh, this person's got me wrong. Mm. And it's not so much them. It's how you see yourself reflected back at you through mm. them that you don't like. And that can be a really hard um like pattern to get out of or cycle, sorry, to get out of when you're like, well, I don't like the self that they think I am, Mm. but I don't know how to change the person. You know, it just, Mm. it's misfiring on so many levels. Um, But also you have to ask yourself, well, how much do I want to change to fit what I think they want me to be? Am I confident in myself? And am I confidently being myself in this situation, if I feel like I'm confidently being myself and that person still doesn't like me, I don't really care because I like myself Mm. and I've got a load of really, really good friends and family who like me Mm. and that's enough for me. Mm. Um, But if I feel like they just haven't got me or they've misread things I've done or Mm. they've just got me wrong, I will try and put that right maybe by, I don't know, going for lunch or taking them aside at a work party and talking to them or and not, not trying to make too much of a big deal of it. Like I would never sort of send along an email sort of saying like what I think. But just like one of the things about soft power is um, showing rather than telling so just be the person that you know that you are around them and just be a bit more conscious of it Mm. Um, and if you still feel like that person really doesn't like you then it's kind of their own issue and I think that sometimes people that are really insecure in themselves or haven't quite dealt with things in their own lives find it hard to have good relationships with other people and that's kind of on them to sort that out. Mm. So I would say, although it's really hard to know that someone doesn't like you, just surround yourself with enough people that do Mm. and get your sense of self from yourself and from those people who are good people and, Mm. you know, choose to be surrounded by people that lift you up, that make you feel good about yourself, that see the best in you um, and just don't spend as much much time with those other people that don't make you feel Mm. like that.
1: I definitely have fallen into the trap in the past of focusing on the people who I could tell didn't get me, didn't like me. It's so damaging. And then you let all the lovely people who try and spend time with you, just you reject them and you don't realise you're doing it. It's amazing
2: what one person's view of you, how it can so quickly unravel your sense Mm, of self mm. if you feel like one person doesn't get you i mean i've experienced this and it's really really hard because it's just really destabilizing you're like well i'm a good person and i'm i'm not that person and i you know i've got good friends and i'm a successful person in my life and you one person have just made me feel like i'm not any of those things that i know myself to be and why are we so insecure that all it takes is like one person Mm. that maybe we don't even like Mm. to to completely um you know unravel our sense of selves in the world and i feel like the more confident we are in ourselves and the more happy we are and the more we like ourselves the easier it is to just not allow other people's of us to to fundamentally change our core sense of self. I think mm. that's something I talk about in the book is kind of creating this real stable base of self and mm. this core, because then almost whatever happens, it's like an anchor mm. in a storm that you can go back to, and you can know that I am a person that I truly like and think is worthy, and
1: it doesn't matter what other people say. Mm. I really felt that when I was reading the book. Oh, good. I'm so pleased. Which is why I'm so glad to have you on the show, to share it with listeners. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. Is there another, is there another book? Another book. (laughs) Um,
2: Maybe I definitely feel like in the area of work, I've got maybe more thoughts and more to say and... um, Yes, also something more around femininity and people's presentation of themselves as women. I don't know, that's something I've Mm. been thinking about and making some little notes in my Mm. notebook about while I've been having my self-care dinner dates on my own. Um, But I'd really like to write a novel, a work of fiction. I think that would be really uh, good fun, but it probably wouldn't feel like work. It would just feel like I was like (laughs) pretending and having a nice time. Um, so I would like to write something else, definitely. But at the moment, um, I think my wife would probably kill me because she'd be like, you've just written a book. Just, <laughs> that's enough. Be be a mother again.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's fantastic. And listeners, as I say, the links to the book, to Lottie, to everything, will be in the show notes, which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this episode. But genuinely, thank you so much for coming on and talking oh, about this been really, It's been really, really nice. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. Before you go, I just want to remind you that it couldn't be easier to get in touch with me. Simply email me at thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. That's thebeautypodcast at gmail.com. If you want to DM me on social media, and why wouldn't you, please do drop into my inbox on Twitter and Instagram where I am at Emma Now, if you want to chat to me, and thousands of other listeners to this podcast then click the link in the show notes which can be found wherever it is that you are streaming and downloading this podcast and join the Facebook group answer three questions agree to the group rules and there it opens up before you it's a wonderful place please do come and join us thank you so much for listening I'll see you on the next one